Good morning, church. And hello to those online. Welcome to you. You're over here now. Okay, good to see you over there. And uh, thanks for joining with us as we are worshiping here today with you and uh, welcoming, welcoming God's Spirit into our presence here today. Do you want to uh, just say thank you again for all those that made this day special as we've been celebrating Memorial Day, uh, including uh, special music and everything else that we've been doing. Thank you so much. Do you want to uh, pray as we get started here today? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, church, I have to thank you, first of all, and uh, that is because uh, last week we had a tremendous sermon, and I was told my job was on the line, but you let me come back, so I appreciate you. Thank you very much. I was told by some I might want to find a day job, but you know, it's all good. There we go. But uh, we did have a great worship last week, and uh, thanks for being part of you Sunday. It's always special, and uh, I know it's dear and dear to my heart. I'm sure it was to yours as well. Do you want to uh, just say as we uh, get going here today that, um, believe it or not, after today, there's only four more Sundays that I get to be with you, which is really sad, of course, uh, as in bittersweet, of course, in all those different ways. But um, I wanted to share this morning, as I thought about what the day meant and Memorial Day weekend and thinking about people who have given their lives for our church, or not for our country, that is, and then that the Holy Spirit birthing the new church, the movement of Pentecost, I thought, you know what? We have our freedom. What's the most noble thing that we can use our freedom for? And for my answer for that, and I'm sure there's many other answers too, but for my answer for that was it's the pursuit of God. The absolute pursuit of God. I'm going to be talking about that here today as we look at Psalm 42 and letting it speak to our souls. Now, it may be interesting to think about that idea, but have you ever thought about the idea of actually speaking to your soul? kind of weird, isn't it, right? I don't know if you've ever really tried it before or thought about it in such a unique way, but it's, there's this eternal part of you, right? There's part of your spirit, part of who you are that is a soul. In other words, when God breathed life into us, when he made, created Adam and Eve from the dirt, and it says, you remember, he breathed life into them, that part of that is that spirit that lives inside of us, that is eternal for all time, right? And we know that eventually that spirit that's eternal for all time, you know, as we read scripture, gets reunited with a, a physical bodies at some point in the future where it's physically uh, right for all time as well and that things are put right and that's just wonderful and all these great things that are in heaven but there's a part of us even now that has a, a element of the eternal inside of us right and the spirit is what we call it in christian circles this idea that this our spirit actually and and this idea also that we can speak to it right we can almost have dialogue with it. It's so unique and so different. And I love Psalm 42 because that's exactly what this author is doing. And so I wanted to take you on a little journey of speaking to your soul, and we're going to kind of walk down memory lane of my memories uh, for you. But maybe, of course, I hope it's also kind of reflected upon your memories, what you've gone through. You know, you can insert certain details, different places, and think about your own journey and your walk with God as you pursue God with all your heart. Well, I want to take you to the uh, late 2000s, and what I mean by that is like 2008, 2009, and that genre in there. You remember it was the economy crashing, remember? Houses going under, everybody's trying to figure out, everybody's savings are wiped out, everybody's figuring out what to do, They're all the philanthropies, you know, every, any, anything that was basically a philanthropy was just struggling to make ends meet, because of course no one had any extra money. Well, this is a story that occurred during that time, and, and as we've been talking about some of my journey these last few weeks and my faith walk with God, this is after, you know, when I was younger, this is, I was a, uh, in seminary at this time, I've graduated seminary, and this is after, you know, the whole calling story that I told you about Genesis 15, where I blew the dust off the Bible, all that. This is, 
went through, you know, did everything I was supposed to, got to the end of seminary, and uh, it was the economy crash, which is a lovely time to be, you know, looking for a job, by the way, in that environment. So uh, it may be weird to you, but there were, uh, in North Georgia that was, I was in North Georgia at the time, and how this works is that when you uh, go through seminary and all that, you then go before the Board of Verdant Ministry, and to be ordained as a United Methodist elder, you go before the board day, and there's a whole, it's a years-long process. It takes forever. And finally, I'm at the end of the process, right? I mean, this is the last step, right, where I'm coming up, and I'm coming up for what's called commissioning, where they, they say, hey, yes, we recognize God's fruitfulness in you. And furthermore, uh, your theology checks out. You fit with us. And furthermore, uh, we're going to take you on. And, and it's kind of like, a, you know, in the Methodist system, when you're ordained, you're ordained for life. So it's not like they can take you on and then boot you out of the house, right? I mean, so they really grill you, do all these different things. And so I was in North Georgia and um, went up before the boards and did all the things, checked all the boxes, and they get to the end, and there was about 40 of us, and they said, uh, hey, we really like you. You really fit with us. We don't have anywhere to stick you, right? <laughs> and so they said, um, good luck. Come back next year, right? And so that's actually what 40 of us did. We kind of had to go do whatever we had to do uh, for a while. So, you know, here's what happens when you graduate from seminary. You know, as you go through undergrad and then you go through seminary, you graduate with student loan debt, woohoo, right? Which does not, of course, take into account when you are physically can't get a job. And so what ended up happening was I had the student loan debts coming through. So you know what I did? I waited tables, stock shelves at Target, had a great time doing all that, and uh, just to make basically, bas to basically eat and then pay the student loans. Well, during that time, this story is what happened. And what I would do in those moments when I was thinking about, hey, God, uh, you remember this whole thing? You remember that night, God, you called me into ministry? And I said, yeah, I'll go. And then hello, right? here I am, hanging out, I'm ready, I did everything I was supposed to, like, waiting on you, right? And this is one of those stories that happens during that time. It's also the story, as I mentioned before, when I lost my mother. Uh, this is a story of her days, her final days as well. And it's a story of my dad, you know, basically becoming a new person after my mom passed away and almost losing my dad in some ways like that. And, you know, anyways, there's a whole bunch of crazy stuff going on in life when this is going on. One of the ways I got around that, or not around that, but one of the ways I worked through all that was I love to walk in nature. You got any nature lovers in here, right? So my dad's house, in which I was staying with, by the way, because, you know, when, you, when you're making, you know, little money, you don't actually own your own house. You move back in with your parents is what happens. So I was moving living with my parents, right, living at home, and, you know, nothing like being an almost 30-year-old hanging out with your parents in their house. But uh, that's what I was doing at this time in my life. And, but he backed up to a nature preserve. And what I mean by that is you've probably heard of way down yonder on the Chattahoochee, right? So the Chattahoochee River, the neighborhood, I mean, if you go anywhere in Atlanta, Chattahoochee's like everywhere. It winds and twists and turns and does all these things. You're constantly running into it. So anyways, there was a nature preserve that my father's neighborhood backed up to. And it was a pretty big one. Like, I'm talking lots of acreage. I couldn't even guess what it is. But you could get back there and walk for an hour and not get to the end of it, right? I mean, that's how big this was. And it was right along the Chattahoochee River. But it was this big, huge hill that went down, woods everywhere, and trees that hadn't been cut down in decades. So I'm talking huge trees everywhere. And you're talking deer all the time. In fact, um, as I was late night out at this time of my life, you know, coming back from work at, at you know, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., a lot of times when I was waiting tables. And so I'd get home, and, like, there'd be deer on my street. Now, I mean that literally. I'm not saying, like, they were in the bushes, on the houses. I'm talking, like, You'd get home, and there'd be clickety, clickety, clack, 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 and deer literally walking down the street, right? So that's kind of this, this nature preserve. It was a big, huge thing, right? And my dad's house, he had like a, a, a glorified duck pond, you know, in the back, and, uh, and it would drain constantly. And there was a creek that would constantly run and kind of go down this, these big hills and through the woods and all this stuff. It was beautiful, absolutely gorgeous. 
And uh, I would go back there and I would take my dog with me, right? So I had this dog named Corbin. So you can imagine a beagle running through the woods with a much younger, maybe a little more hair and a little skinnier pastor uh, back in the day. And I would go through the woods and I'd read my Bible and I would go out in the woods. And there was this one spot that I would go and I would sit at. It was, uh, as I mentioned, the pond would come down and this creek would roll. But it was, there were certain times there were these waterfalls. I don't think too much. I mean, it was a waterfall maybe too strong of a word for it. But there were these parts where the water would just make really interesting, you know, parts where it would come down and form these deep pools. And there were even little fishies and stuff in there. And so what Corbin and I would do is we would go out into the woods for hours. And uh, I would just go and a lot of times just sit on one of the stones in the pond. Just let the water roll down. You know, you can, it's like... Thomas Kincaid picture or something, right? Where it's like the water's flowing down and all the trees are there. You can hear the woodpeckers and all the birds chirping. And even now and then you'd see a deer or something go by and all this different stuff, you know, uh, coming towards all this water. And, um, and so I would sit there. And, you know, it was kind of a jumbled up time in my life. And obviously when jumbled up times happen, your soul gets kind of jumbled, right? It's kind of like taking it and putting it in a bottle and just shaking it around is what it felt like. And, uh, and so I would sit and I would read Scripture. And there was one passage I'd come back to, time and time again. You could probably guess it, Psalm 42, right? So again, imagine the deer in the woods and all these different things. And of course, it's Georgia. It gets hot. You got to keep coming back to the water when you're in that humid Georgia weather in the summer. And this is those times. It was very, very warm in the time. And, you know, as I'm sitting there and I'm watching my dog, you know, bark at everything and jump in the water, chasing the fish and doing all these different things. I'm reading scripture, and it says these words, right? It starts off, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, oh God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. And I love that picture, and it just always kind of grabbed me. That first part, it would grab me, because, of course, I'm literally watching deer go up and try to find water in the middle of all this and all these different things. And, um, and, I, and I just came in love with this passage, and I would read it over and over and over again. And I remember this idea, this pursuit of after God, and how so many times there's these twists and these turns and these ups and these downs, these lefts and right and corkscrews and everything else in between. And yet there are these moments, right, where our soul gets jumbled up. And so in that noblest pursuit of, of pursuing God, you know, there's going to be parts of your life, parts of your journey where you're going to feel jumbled up. I mean, it's just going to happen. This is part of life and part of how God seems to grow us. And so I want to talk specifically about speaking to your soul in those times, coming off of Psalm 42. Well, you would think that maybe this psalm would start off, it starts off with that lovely poetic deal, you know, as the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you. You would think it's going to be a happy psalm, right? It sounds like it's going to start off being really kind of happy. Twist and turn, right, in the psalmist, because he's not going through a happy time of life. And in fact, you can read what he says right after this, or after he says those poetic words, he says, my tears have been my food. Day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? Now, this was hit me in a big spot in my life because um, you may not know this about me, but I had a decent amount of friends and even family that uh, aren't really believers. And so when I told them I'm going into the ministry, they went, what? <laughs> they were like, why would you want to do that? And in fact, I've had uh, some of my family members basically go like, you know, in this point in my life, basically say, uh, hey, so you're not, you don't have a job after doing all that? And I was like, nope. And they're like, well, that worked out well for you, didn't it? Where's your God now? You know, it's like, thanks for that. I appreciate that. Thank you very much. But anyways, this was literally, you know, happening in my life, you know, as I'm reading these, these words. And, you know, where is your God? 
these things I remember as I poured out my soul, how I used to go in the house with multitude and leading the procession of the house of God, shouting with joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. And he's remembering in this moment, he's in a hard place, but he remembers the goodness of the good times, right? And he's yearning for God to come back and find that once again and to have those moments of God answering and being in the house of God. And then he does this crazy thing, as, as I mentioned before, speaking to your soul. Out of all the places he goes in the psalm, he says, Hey, soul, why are you downcast? Now, there's an easy answer. He just told you, right? It's because he's had tears for food day and night. The men are saying to him, where is your God? And he remembers this as he pours out his soul, asking God, where can I go and meet with you? And I remember all the good times, and they ain't good right now, right? But he turns to his soul and says, why are you downcast? And he speaks to it. Why are you so disturbed within me? You may not know this, but I kind of envision this from the psalmist and kind of get from it and glean from it in Scripture here. You can direct your soul. This is exactly what the psalmist does here. He's going to say this to his soul. He says this. He actually gives the soul, not a command, maybe it's too strong, but a, a direction. He says to his soul, put your hope in God. And why? For I will yet praise him. I love these words. I love how the my goes before it. My Savior. My God. Of course, he directs his soul, but of course, the soul can be persistent when it's rattled up. So, of course, the, the psalmist keeps writing about this. He says, he, he acknowledges, my soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I remember you, speaking of God. So when you're jumbled up and your soul's just everywhere and, you, and you're even trying to speak to it and it just bucks like a wild bronco and saying, I'm still upset, I'm still wrong, I'm still feeling like things are not going right, you keep speaking to it. It says, my soul is downcast with me, therefore I will remember you. Now it's really important before we read this next part and think about what the psalmist is doing. He takes a picture of a reality that's before him in his brain. He says, just like this, this is what my faith is going to look like. That's what he's going to do. Here's the scenario. In Israel, in the Jordan, North Jordan, we would call it Syria really up there, there is a big, huge mountain, right? And this mountain is, believe it or not, at least 20 years ago it was the case, it's snow-capped year-round. Now, you think of Israel, you think of desert, but it's just true. But there's also parts of it that are very altitude, have very high altitude, have very, you know, lots of snow, lots of cold. And so there's this place called Mount Hermon, still there today, by the way, in Mount Mazar, right? This is part of it. And you can go there, and it's snow-capped, right? Now, global warming may have changed that since 20 years ago I was there and took pictures of it. But it was snow-capped in the middle of uh, when we were there in the hot season. And so as we're there, you know, like I was looking at this mountain when I remember being there and, and took pictures of it. This mountain has all this snow. You know what happens when it gets warm? It's like anywhere. Snow melts. What does it do down a mountain? It starts falling down the mountain, coming down, yearning to go to its home. And literally, if you go there, there's waterfalls, like big water. I mean, not the ones I'm talking about earlier, but like big waterfalls, like ones you'd go and take a picture and like think are really awesome and stuff, and big, huge pools that it comes to, and, and just constant rapids even that come down. It's weird to think of in the desert, but this happens, right? And it goes down, it keeps flooding down, it keeps going into rivers and places and going down and down the mountain, down the hills, down the plains, more or less, forming into a big river. And of course, you know, depending on how the flood or how the waters exactly go, but more or less, they mostly come, come down to the sea of Galilee, which of course keeps on going to the Dead Sea, right? 
This idea, as he's talking about here, he says these words. From the land of Jordan, I remember you, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls deep. In other words, the deep was the name for they had for the sea. And as all ancient people believed, especially in Mesopotamia, when you looked up in the sky, you see it's blue during the day, right? They thought water was up above them, and there was this air pocket in between, and water was below them, and that this deep would come down in the form of rain and snow and all these things, land on the, the land, and continue to go down to where it belonged, into the blue, right? As deep calls to deep. I'm going to remember you. In the roar of literally the waterfalls, in the roar of those waterfalls, coming down Mount Hermon, melting and coming down, and yes, beating against the rock and falling at places and going left and right and going through the rapids, but eventually finding to its peaceful land, finding to its deep, where it belongs. And in fact, not only the wars of waterfalls, but all your waves and breakers. Now we're not coming down the mountain anymore. We're in the sea, if you will. The waves and the breakers, they've washed over me. They've swept over me. These things I remember. By the day the Lord directs his love. At night his song is within me. A prayer for God for my life. In other words, the psalmist looked at this thing, looked at this reality that was before him of this water how it goes through this journey but you know what it starts here and it ends here and it no matter what happens it's going to end up where it's supposed to end up right the psalms is saying this is what i have faith in. i'm going through the rocky times at this moment but i'm speaking to my soul and i'm saying remember your god because it's all the journey because there's an end to the journey so therefore soul take peace in this and so the psalmist is going to remember here again these words in the situation. And so he's had this sort of vision, if you will, of what was going on. Now, when I was sitting there with my dog, there was this little tiny water. It's not like Mount Hermon, but you know, there's a waterfall. Of course, I know where it goes because I've been walked down to the edge of the reserve and there's, you know, the Chattahoochee River where you can see a bunch of, where we were, it was like herons and even river otters and all sorts of stuff you could see at this kind of nature reserve area. See the water go through its motions but it was guaranteed where it ended up. It was guaranteed. Now it had its parts where it got diverted and came over here and came over there, but it, it ended up where it was going, right? And there was no stopping it. It was a force that was beyond itself to even control. And so the psalmist says here, I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go on mourning oppressed by my enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as a foes taunt me saying to me all day long, where is your God? In other words, when he's singing the psalm and writing the psalm, he hasn't, his situation hasn't changed. But he's directing his soul because he sees something bigger than the circumstance that he's in at that moment. Why are you so downcast, my soul? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What I take from Psalm 42 I love how it ends with those words, my Savior, my God. If your soul has been kind of shooken up or you're going through something like that, or maybe you have in the past, maybe you not got over it, or maybe you're going through it in the future or whatever. But when that happens, keep track of a few things that I think from the psalm that we can take to really speak to our souls. First of all, don't miss those words, my Savior, my God. First thing is, is first and foremost, you have to have the relationship with God, right? I mean, if, if you're looking for peace without God, it ain't going to happen. If you're looking for peace 
to go through life circumstances and end up in a good place just by default. It ain't going to happen unless you're with God. Right? That's number one and most important, right? There is no hope without it because guess what? The people who cry out to you, where is your God, win the day if God's not on your side. And so the first thing is to have that relationship and to build that relationship. And truly, it is a relationship. There's a, there's a speaking back and forth. And yes, God doesn't always speak to us in audible terms, like as if we're sitting down with a cup of coffee. But if we listen, we, if we know how to listen, he speaks all the time. See, Margie looked through her little journal book, and I'm, I see the highlights. I, I know God speaks, study. You can, you can testify here today. You can get up and preach for me. God speaks in all sorts of ways, right? It's amazing how God speaks to us if we just take time to listen, but it's a relationship. The second thing is this, is you can actually direct your soul, right? You can actually tell your soul, hey, when I'm feeling this way, I'm going to choose something beyond what I'm feeling. I'm going to choose and look at some other certainties that are just in creation around me and take hope from that and know exactly what's going on in my life, that there are these times where it's just deep is calling to deep, and there's a journey that's got to happen to get there, but ultimately, you know what? Deep ends up with deep, right? Sure as anything else, that is going to happen, and that's where I'm going to direct my soul to have faith in God. The second thing, or third thing, sorry, I can't, number, I can't enumerate today. We're, you know, A, B, C, D. Why don't we just go there too? But number three is this, right? So not only do you have to have the relationship with God, not only do you direct your soul, you got to thirst for it. Remember how it starts off as a deer pants for streams of water. you got to recognize your soul just dries up without the Lord in your life, right? And so you gotta, you got to desire it. you got to want to be with God. you got to search out God. It, as I hear more and more mature Christians talk, it occurs to me, and, may, and you know, this isn't me coming up with it, but so many testimonies of the faith of people in faith is this, is that it wasn't the good times they grew closer to God. It was the hard times. And I'm seeing some people shake their heads like, I'm I, ready to preach it. Pastor, call on me. I'll give you a testimony, right? But it, When we, soul, when we search and we just long and we want our soul to be with God, those hard times bring it out in a new way than we've ever known before. And ironically, it's those hard times that actually bridge that gap when the deep is calling to deep. It's those times that actually make the deep closer to the deep. And your soul longs for God. The noblest pursuit we can all pursue is search out God in our life to know him to have him be those words, my God, my Savior. And the last thing is this and fourth, and, and it's kind of already been said, but just to kind of just explicitly say it. The report card on how you're doing with searching for God, your circumstance bears nothing upon it. Nothing. If you're poor, if you're rich, it does not matter. That has, has no reflection on what God is doing in your life and how you're searching him. If you're going through hard times or good times, or, your circumstance has no bearing on how far the deep is from the deep in your life. But no, again, that it's those hard times that we try to avoid at all costs, that we fight and rage and sometimes quarrel with God. And God's big enough. He can take that. You can quarrel with God all you want. He'll, he'll meet with you in powerful ways. But it's those times 
that again, when God sort of, if you will, throws us over the waterfall and we come crashing down, that we end up closer to him. We end up closer to the very person he's making us be for eternity as deep calls to deep. We remember this from Mount Hermon, how the water flows into waterfalls and eventually ends into the breakers of the sea. So as surely were those who have hope and faith in God find a way past their circumstance. And the soul that lives forever in the noblest pursuit of seeking God with all that we are. Let us pray. God, as we're here today, we thank you so much again for the men and women that are given their life. And God, there's so many distractions in this world. There's so many places we could be, so many ways of wasting our money that we could do. And even noble, other noble things, Lord, but there's nothing as noble as our hearts yearning for you more than everything else. God, we admit that without you, we are just shriveled up pieces of twig. But when you, Lord, we bear fruit. We have life, and life abundantly. As we're here, God, we want to be yours once again. As we remember this spirit coming down upon the church all those years ago, the spirit that's still alive today, oh, spirit, we pray to you. Come and fill our lives with fire again to set us ablaze, to pursue God above all else. May God never be like this world and give our report card based on our circumstance. But like the psalmist, direct our souls to know a truth beyond what we see. A truth, Lord, that even in the hard times, you can take those things and use them for good. We pray all this in Jesus' holy, precious name. Amen.